Good morning once again, Victory Outreach Inglewood, and we're coming to you here from Victory Outreach Inglewood uh, Sanctuary. While you are there in the safe place of your home, I pray you're doing well. I'm going to be reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 6. And I got to say before I start, man, I've really been enjoying our uh, virtual Bible studies. Uh, we have theologians from all over the place and uh, weighing in on the scriptures and God has been speaking to my heart. I, I certainly hope it's been a blessing to you, but I've been inspired by one of the, uh, all of the stories really, but one of the stories really stood out. Um, a few weeks back, we were in chapter five and uh, one, of, one of my favorite parts, and I have a few, uh, in Revelation is this particular story here. So I'm going to read it to you. I'll read verse 6. I challenge you to read the entire chapter, read the entire book. In fact, join our Bible study and you'll learn uh, a whole lot about who Jesus is in the book of Revelation. But this is what it says. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, and I'm reading from the New International Version of the Bible. It says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. And I'll stop there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning for your anointing upon the reading of your word. We ask that you would give us clarity, that you would reveal your true self to us, because we need to see you, Jesus. We thank you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, Amen. Now I want you to try to imagine this scene. John the Apostle is in heaven, and he sees God seated on a throne. And in his right hand, he has a scroll with seven seals on the scroll. Now today we use envelopes, and envelopes have glue on the back, or sometimes the adhesive strips. Well, back in the day when they had these scrolls, they would use either a wax seal or a clay seal to seal the scroll up so that you couldn't just open it up and read it. And this is what he saw. He saw God with the sealed scroll in his hand. And it's not just one seal. There were seven of them. But the problem is that nobody could open the seals. Nobody could open up the scroll and, and read what, it was, uh, what was written on the inside. And in fact, they made a search to see if they could find someone who could open it. And the angel called out, who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? But nobody was found who was able, not in heaven, not on earth, not even under the earth. I don't know where I was that day, but nobody was found that could open this, this scroll. And John is watching this. The Apostle John is watching this, so he begins to cry. The Bible says he began to weep because whatever was in that scroll was obviously important. It was in the right hand of God as he was on the throne, and he wanted to communicate something to us, but nobody was found worthy to read what God wants to communicate. And John couldn't believe it. He's right there and he couldn't believe it. And as he is weeping there before the throne of God, one of the elders came over to him and he tells him, hey, don't cry. Don't cry. Watch 
the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Praise God for the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John is probably looking for the lion. He's like, where's he at? All right, the lion can do it. Where, where's the lion? And he's looking around, which brings us right here to verse 6. And I'm reading just a portion of verse 6. Because as he's looking for the lion, it says in verse 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. You know, back in the early days of uh, European royalty, when there were kingdoms and kings and queens and princes and all those great things, when it came time to find a spouse uh, who was always someone from a different kingdom, let's say a, a prince was going to get married, he wouldn't marry uh, generally somebody from his own kingdom, they would marry someone from a different kingdom. And in doing so, they would form an alliance with that other kingdom. It makes both kingdoms wealthier. And so they would, you know, pledge to marry someone from a different kingdom, someone else who was royal, uh, someone else who uh, had wealth and power and strength. And so the prince would rely on a portrait of the princess, a painting, in order to see what this princess looked like because it was a sight unseen they wouldn't know and so they would rely on a portrait and the same thing the princess would rely on a portrait she would send her painter to to do a portrait of the prince and the prince would send a, a, a painter to do a portrait of the princess now they wouldn't just uh, have somebody there in that kingdom do their own portrait of the prince or the princess because they wanted the truth right so they would send their their, their painters to, to do a portrait. Now, they didn't have photography at the time, no FaceTime back then, and traveling all the way to the prince's kingdom just to see uh, the prince in person was dangerous at that time. And it was time consuming. So they would just send the painter and he would paint the portrait and come back. And in fact, you can see many of these portraits uh, on display in some of the museums there in Europe today. So they had no idea of their potential spouse, what they looked like before their wedding day. And I've read some of the accounts of that first meeting, and they have some of them recorded, what they said, written down, the things that they said at their first meeting, face to face. And it's exactly what you would expect. King Henry VIII, when he first saw uh, Anne of Clives, he blew a fuse. It was like, what? He, he looked at her and, and, and he looked at the portrait and he was like, nah, -uh. and they signed a, 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 for a divorce immediately, right? right? Right then and there, he started to file a divorce. The same thing happened in the year 1795 when Queen uh, Caroline of England first saw the Prince of Wales, right? She was like, what? Are you serious? And she literally said this. She said, by no means is he as beautiful as his portrait. All right? But them's the breaks, like we say in Inglewood. Do we still say that in Inglewood? Them's the breaks. <laughs> right? After writing up a marriage contract, and their wedding negotiators had 
painted a full-bodied portrait of the person they were to marry. And then they, they and, and in these portraits, they wanted to see just what do they look like? They wanted to capture their, their opulence, their wealth, their royalty, and their beauty. They wanted to see, uh, you know, is this a person that I can be married to? Is this a person that can represent our kingdom well? Right? Uh, not only the beauty, but all the stuff that goes along with the royalty. They wanted to try and capture that. But oftentimes, the portrait was exaggerated. It was exaggerated, and they got something less than they bargained for. <laughs> and I'm sure this must happen all the time on those internet dating sites. Hello, somebody. Right? The person you see in the photo is nothing like the person you end up meeting. You're like, looking at it like... You know, what's up with that? And that's why I believe Ben and Francis, they just went with the want ads. They said, you know, forget the, the photos, man. Let's just do this, right? And they just got married. No photos, nothing. You know, they just, and they've been happily married ever since, by the way. Praise the Lord for that. You know, it was one historian that says a portrait usually portrays the person as their best possible selves. Like over the top, the, the beauty, the, the, the clothing, and, and sometimes they probably even made up the clothing. Just a, a beautiful portrait, like a Facebook profile portrait, right? The best self. Here in Revelation 5 is a portrait of Jesus. What would the portrait of Jesus look like? And you know, every ruler had a portrait of themselves. Every ruler had a portrait that demonstrated their authority, regardless of how frail they may have been, or how weak they may have been, or, or what they looked like in real life. If they were sickly, or, or, or whatever it may have been, they had a portrait uh, uh, painted of them, and rulers were always depicted in their symbolic bodies in their symbolic selves to represent the kingdom as opposed to their actual bodies. So most portraits were majestic and powerful. Most portraits were dignified, you know, uh, awe-inspiring portraits. Alexander the Great was depicted in a panther skin. Debbie bought me a panther skin for my birthday, right? King Arthur II. Napoleon, uh, they were painted with an intimidating gaze, like standing there, you know, in, uh, staring at the, the audience in an intimidating manner, right? Whether they were seated on a throne or seated on a horse, all of them were strategically illustrated to capture their power, elevating the person high above their actual true selves, right? They were often exaggerated. But here is a portrait of Jesus, a portrait of your Savior. And when the angel first described him, it sounded like one of those portraits of all the other leaders of the world. The, the lion of the, the tribe of Judah, right? One who has triumphed and, and you're looking for this powerful, intimidating lion. Right? Check out the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what he says. Behold, see the lion of the tribe of Judah. And what's more intimidating 
than a lion. And there's no reason uh, why John shouldn't have expected to see this powerful prince, the king of kings, as he turned to look. That's why they call lions the king of the jungle, right? Powerful, strong, intimidating. But as John turns to look for the lion, there's no lion at all. There's no lion. What John sees is the exact opposite of what he expected to see. In fact, the image didn't even seem to make sense to John. He sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain. It was a visual difficulty for him. A, a visual, uh, you know, it, it just didn't make sense. It was confusing. How could a lamb, which was obviously alive, give John the impression that it had been slain? Right? It, it was a living lamb, but when he looked at it, it was as though this lamb was slain. And that word slain literally means cut in the throat. He looks for a lion and he sees a lamb that was cut in the throat. He was slaughtered, bearing the marks of his death there on his body. Hardly a picture of the glorious lion that he expected to see. Instead, he sees a bloody lamb, weak, what appears to be defeated. That is the portrait of Christ. That is the portrait of Jesus. Why would Jesus appear like this in heaven? Why would he appear like this in this picture? What about his power? What about his authority? The king of kings, right? Mighty warrior. Where, where is his strength? You, you can't see the strength in a portrait like this. This looks like the, the classic bait and switch, right? They, they show you one thing or they tell you one thing and you, you get there and you're looking for what they advertise and it's something else. Just like the angel was saying, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah. And you go looking for the lion. And it's not the picture that he promised. But this is the paradox of the cross. This is what makes the cross so mysterious, yet so powerful. Thank God for the cross. This is the picture of perfection and strength. A broken body with scars showing. This is the picture of triumph. This is the picture of power and strength. As if he was saying, this is what it cost me to redeem you. This is what it cost me to pull you out of the grave. These scars on my body, the, this blood that I shed. This is what it cost me to get you out of that crazy life that you were living. All messed up, you know, drunken and, and, and broken and, and all messed up. Jesus paid a price for us. And this was the price that he paid for you and I, the wounds of Jesus are his glories. The wounds of Jesus are the jewels in his crown. He paid a price for us. What crowns and robes and thrones and, and all those things are to every other king, scars are to the glory of Christ. He's not wearing a, a panther skin. So Debbie, we're going to have to take that thing back, you know. He's not wearing that. He's not wearing a jeweled crown. 
Not in this picture. In his royal portrait, Jesus in heaven, the king is wearing scars. Powerful portrait of a savior, your savior. And it means something to us. These scars of his, permanent reminders of his trauma, permanent reminders of pain and struggle. He wears them on his body. When he resurrected, they didn't go away. Those scars didn't go away. Death went away. And, and, and my misery and sin went away. Your misery and sin. But the scars remained. He's wearing the scars. They remind us that our past is real. That I've lived through something. That we've lived through tough moments. Scars are real. They, and we all have them. And some of us have more than others. And some are more visible than others. But we all have them. That blemish on the skin that tells a story of a past full of hurt. And some of us have scars even on the inside. The psychological and emotional trauma. The scars that, that are on the inside that people don't see until we're in the right moment. Where pressure brings out the fact that scars exist on the inside of us. Stress pressure and they all begins to spill out in anger hostility right whatever it may be we all have these scars but his scars heal the hurt his scars make us new behold Christ behold the portrait of Christ Jesus is saying look at me look at me this way cut at the throat. He's saying, behold this portrait of me with scars showing. The first thing John realized, recognized in this image was that he was a lamb looking as if it were slain. Check me out. Drink deep this picture of hurts being healed. A picture of suffering. It's a memorial to every believer. It's a memorial to me and to you that your hurts are healed. Do you have hurts? Have you had hurts? Have you lived through tough times? Thank God that, that what he shows up in is not the panther skin, not the, the opulent throne encrusted with jewels, that what he shows up with are the scars that bear the, the healing in your own body, in your own mind. Jesus heals your hurts. So don't let the portraits fool you. There are a lot of portraits out there. Don't let the portraits out there fool you. Those Facebook por pro profiles, you know, and, you know, uh, mingle.com. Hello, christianmingle.com, whatever they may be, right? Uh, uh, crispa.com. Hello, somebody. When every other leader projects their best self, Jesus projects his real self, his true self. His scars are his beauty and perfection because by his wounds we are made healed. We are whole in him. So I'd like to pray this morning for you, for us, because we need the healing that Christ provides. Every scar, every drop of blood that he shed, was for your healing and mine. So he wants the, the scars to show. 
right? When, when he presents the portrait, his kingly portrait, it's not of his opulence. It's not of his greatness or wealth. It's of the price that he paid to reach you. That, that's why you are accessible to him. That's why he can touch your heart even this very moment. That's why he can transform your mind this very moment. That's why he can call you, tug on your heart to reach you. Because he paid a price for you. And in this very moment, he can heal the hurts in your lives because he's been there. Pray with me this morning. If you want to receive that healing touch from Christ, just pray with me this morning. Amen. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning with hurts in my life, a body full of scars, a mind full of scars. But I ask that your wounds will take the place of mine. That what you endured on the cross of Calvary would cover the wounds in my life. Touch my life. Transform my life. That I can live for you forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every one that has prayed this prayer this morning, that you would touch them. And even now, this very moment, begin to lift the needs of your people, restore and renew, heal, touch. My God, do a work in the lives of your people, I pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. I certainly hope the Lord spoke to you this morning. And I look forward to hearing from you. God bless you and be safe.